You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. For those that have not been here the last few weeks, we've again been working through a series called The Seven Seas of History. Begins with creation, moves to uh, corruption, to catastrophe, confusion, Christ, cross, and consummation. And today we are going to be again in our second part of the second sea of corruption. Uh, This won't be just a seven week series, there are several parts in each sea sometimes. But today will be our second part of corruption. Last week, we looked at the serpent and his deception. We talked about his craftiness and how his words drip poison and they are lies and they are not truth. And and yet it is so enticing, isn't it? Sometimes to believe the lie of the enemy. We saw whom the serpent was in regards to Revelation 12.9, the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. Not some of them, not a few of them, the entire world. We saw, secondly, our need for each of us to communicate with God on our own through prayer and through spending time in the living and active Word of God. That is not enough to just hear the Word from someone else, but yet the importance of diving into the Word of God for ourselves. Then we saw sin. In the eyes of how God saw sin. And how we need not to try to justify what we do when we sin, like they did when they sinned in the garden. We saw the rapid rate of sin unfold as she took and she ate and she gave and he ate the picture of what sin does to us in our lives when we buy the lie of the enemy we saw man fail to be the leader as God had instructed him to lead his wife in the garden as they ate the forbidden fruit and lastly we saw man's attempt at modesty and how it falls short as they tried to cover themselves. This week we're going to continue this sea of corruption. We'll be looking at Genesis chapter 3, verses 12 to 24. Yes, it's a larger portion of Scripture, but I think we can divide it really into three smaller chunks, if you would. Let's look at these three chunks as we begin to meander through them. First, 1 to 7 of chapter 3 deals with temptation. Chapters 8, I mean chapter 3 verses 8 to 19 deal with condemnation. And then verses 20 to 24 of chapter 3 deal with salvation. So we are looking at condemnation and salvation in these passages today. And so I've broken them down into three main points that I think will help you as we work through this section of God's Word. The first thing that we're going to see here is, number one, we see the complaining. 
in verses 12 and 13. In verses 14 and 19, we see the curse. And then 20 and 24, we see the casting. Let's read together, if you will, this morning. Verse 12. The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. Verse 15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Then Adam said, then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground. Because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he stretch out his hands and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove man out. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and flaming swords which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. If only we could grasp the devastation that has taken place in what we've read. If we could only grasp the grace of God in the midst of what's taken place. The protection of a loving, gracious Father. I want us to first look at verses 12 to 13 and see the complaining. Here we have an opportunity to see firsthand... One effect that the fall 
of man has accomplished. In verses 8 to 11, we have God who is told to be walking in the cool of the day. And on the other hand, we have man hiding from God. Now for you and I, that may not seem like a big deal, but they are hiding from God. The perfect Father who has created a perfect garden and given them everything they need. This is their perfect state of being. Sinlessness. Yet something's happened to cause them to hide from God the Father. They knew that they had done something terribly wrong. That they had been duped. And now God calls out to man seeking where his beloved creation, Adam and Eve, is. And God says, where are you? You know, as I read this, I could not help but think of how sin affects us. And if you are like me, you've bought the lie before. One way or another. And when you buy the lie, and you fall into sin... Many times we want to hide from those that we have sinned against. Because deep down inside we know we are embarrassed because of what we've done. And I think what we see here is two of God's children realizing that they have accomplished something of most terrible that has affected not only them but all of the world to come. And they are hiding from their father. When you buy a lie, sometimes it can be very humbling. Just a quick reminder that God knows everything. And all things are known by God. Because God is omniscient. You, you may be able to hide them from me, and I from you. Or you might hide them from your spouse. Or children, young people. You may hide them from your parents. But you will never, ever hide from God. Because He knows all things. A matter of fact, He knows everything you did this weekend. He knows what you did on Friday night. He knows what you did Monday through Friday he knows how you treated someone. He knows how you spoke to your wife, to your children. He knows how you handled your time this week. He knows what you watched on television when you thought you were in the presence of your privacy on this little device we call a cell phone that can easily be used for evil in the matter of the click of a button. He knows all, He sees all, and He is aware of every circumstance for which we face. I need you to know that God wasn't asking because He didn't know the answer to where they were. But He wants a response from them on what they have done. Hey, you as a parent, 
maybe have experienced this. Maybe you young people, you don't get it because you don't have children. But one day, I promise you, if God blesses you with a husband or a wife and you have your own children, you will experience this. When you know that your child has done something wrong and you ask them, what did you do? It ain't that you don't already know. You just want to hear it from them that they understand you know what they've already done. I think that's what we see here. A, a, a father, son, and daughter relationship. What have you done? Man says to God, I'm hiding because I'm naked. Again, as we talked about last time we met in part one, we talked about how the, 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 the topic of nakedness throughout the Scripture had a negative connotation. And what we find here is they're making excuses. Why are they really hiding? Because they've disobeyed God. The Lord says, who told you that? You were naked. Did you eat from the tree in which I commanded you not to eat, Adam? And we see the complaining that just permeates from the mouth of these two people that God has created in His very own image. Adam says in verse 12, the, the woman whom you gave to me, God. I, I didn't go after her, Lord. I, I didn't go seeking for this woman. No, 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 God. Uh, you, God, brought this woman to me. And, and it was her. She gave to me. And I ate. Can't get away from the eye there, can he? He still ate. He can complain about the, the woman that God had brought to him, but he wasn't complaining before this took place about all the good that came from this beautiful creation designed for him as a helpmate. Eve says in verse 13, The serpent! Uh, but he deceived me and I ate. You know, the one you threw down here on earth... <laughs> Uh, he deceived me and I ate. And what we have here is the first known shift blaming that we find. They complained that someone else is responsible for my actions, for my deeds, for my sin that they've committed. Adam complains that it's the woman's fault. Really, he blames it on God. And woman, she, she complains that it's the serpent's fault. And they look to shift their actions to someone else because of the sin that they have committed. The, the sin that they had committed in the disobedience against Almighty God, the, the, the most simplest way to relinquish any responsibility is to shift the blame to somebody else. 
Simply put, they did not want to take responsibility for their own sin. And I believe that we live in a day when we fail like them to take responsibility for our own sins and we want to blame it on everybody else. We'll blame it on God. God made me this way. Well, I was deceived because I I was just thumbing through and voila! It shows up. It's Facebook's fault. Listen, the reality is, is we are much like Adam and Eve. When we sin, the first thing we want to do is point the finger at everybody else around us rather than taking responsibility for our own action. I don't know who needs to hear that this morning, but it's time to take responsibility for the things you say, the people you offend, the actions you commit. They aren't your mother's fault. They aren't your father's fault. They ain't your granddaddy's fault. They're not because you were abused as a child. They are because you have sinned. We all have a past. I promise you, I have a past. But I promise you, I refuse to let my past dictate who God has made me to be. Because I am, my friend, a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away and behold, the new have come. I don't, I forget what lies behind. And I press forward to the goal that lies ahead. And so therefore, if I have a sexual addiction, a pornography addiction, I can't look back and grab that back there for some reason that has caused me this pain and this chaos and this suffering, that this is the reason I am the way I am. No, I am the way I am because the The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says that there's none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says you could never do good deeds in your own strength. We need to take responsibility for our sin and our rebellion against a perfect, holy, and righteous God. And we certainly don't need to blame God. But that's what they're doing. Instead of repenting, they start pointing. Instead of accepting what they have done, they start the blame game. There are so many people, good people, who shift the blame of their own sin onto someone else. When God really wants us to come to Him on our knees. Does it matter whose fault it is? We sin. We've fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. It's always death. And what God's desire for you and for me is to come before Him as a gracious Heavenly Father and tell Him what He already knows to be true. That we've sinned. And that we find true repentance. Repentance. That we turn away from our sin and turn to God 
And we ask Him to forgive us of those things. Listen, have you spoken falsely about someone this week? Then repent. Have you looked at something that's dishonoring to God? Then repent. Have you said something to someone that dishonored God? Then repent. Have you failed? Then repent. God's not up there with nunchucks ready to chop you down. Yes, He is a God of wrath. Yes, He is a God of justice. And He does not play with sin. But He has told you. and told me. Through His living Word. That if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins. And what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's the devil who wants you to hold tight to it. Because it can paralyze you. It can prevent you from moving forward with purpose to utilize your God-given talents for His glory. So we see the complaining, the blame shifting, but the action that God wants to take place here is repentance. Listen, we must repent. We got one thing in common. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we can all come down off our pharisaical, holy righteousness and admit before one another that we are equally and deserving of the pure flaming wrath and justice of Almighty God. How is that to be in common with one another? But what it does is it puts us all on the same playing field, so to speak. So that when you fail, I can't look over and you go, How dare you? You're going to go to hell. Right? Because you got this thing in your eye, it's called a log. <laughs> and you got sin in your life that just happens, it ain't become quite public yet. And so we have to be very careful to understand that we are equally in need of the grace and mercy of God. God wants us to be repenting people. And sometimes that means going to the person that you've offended and asking them for your forgiveness. Yes, first God, because ultimately every sinful deed we do is an offense to God Almighty. That's who you ought to be concerned that you've offended first. Because He holds the keys, doesn't He? But we also need to go to one another. Because if you are around one another long enough, you're going to sin against one another. You say, well, I don't know about that. Well, let me ask you this. Do you sin against your wife? Or your husband? Or your children? Yeah. The way you speak to them, the way you treat them, the way you provide for them, sometimes is a sinful lifestyle. How much more are you willing to do that to somebody who ain't in your house every day? We have to make sure that we take God very seriously, just not one another very seriously. And when we offend someone, we should willingly, obediently go to them 
and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I did this or I did that. Would you please forgive me? And go to God and ask the same. You know, when you're doing that, it's hard to really hold a grudge against somebody, isn't it? What have you done? What sins have you committed by which you are shifting the blame on to someone else? Now, I can't tickle your ears here. And I can't even tickle mine because here's the deal. My sin is my sin and your sin is your sin. No one causes you to sin but you. No one causes old Stuart to sin but Stuart. James says it this way in James 1, 13 to 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. So it ain't God's fault. For He Himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. The wages of sin is always death. Don't buy the lie of the culture. Know what sin is, know what good is, know what wickedness is, know what evil is. Don't confuse the two. Because the wages of sin is always death and will always be death. Your sin is like childbirth. It grows and grows and grows and matures and pains come along with it. We ignore the pain sometimes and we try to suppress the pain because we've justified the lifestyles that we have inherited from Adam and we make them appropriate in our culture and our day, but yet they're still sinful and therefore there's consequences that begin to permeate and we suppress those pains and we try to act like we're not impregnated with sin. And as it begins to develop, we give birth to that sin and it brings forth death. It's a great imagery. Your sin is your sin and my sin is my sin. And if you have found yourself engaged in sin with no regard for the hurt that you can cause or have caused, we need to fall on our knees and beg God for forgiveness. We must repent of that sin. Cry to God for that. Don't shift the blame to someone else. You've heard it said before, two wrongs don't make a right. Well, two sins don't make a right either. It makes no sense at all, really. Well, he cheated, so I cheated. He underpaid, so I overtook. He talked about me, so I talked about him. She won't treat me like God calls her to treat me as her husband. So I don't treat her like God calls me to treat her. Or him, vice versa. She, she won't give me, he won't give me what I need, so I'll go find it somewhere else. 
I didn't get what I wanted. So I got angry. And I defamed the name of someone. We see that a lot in our day. In this age of the social media world where there is no face-to-face interaction, it's really easy to talk the big talk behind the screen and yet not face-to-face. It's why I always will encourage you if you have a problem with your brother and your sister that you go to them one-on-one in private. Because it's a whole lot harder for you to throw a stone when you're looking at the person in front of you. But listen to me very clearly. When you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be defamed. Your character will be smeared in the mud. And we're not to be so concerned about our character before men, although it is important. We should be more concerned about our character before Almighty God. Listen, I think as we see these modern days with the political drama, the religious drama, the more you speak truth, the more people hate you. And there will always be haters. And the old saying is, let the haters hate. And given enough time, that what is inside will come out. The greatest test of faith, and sanctification, and maturity, and even salvation is the test of time. Because the Bible says what's in you will come out. And sometimes what comes out ain't very honoring to God. So we have to make sure that we, if we're on the receiving end of that, take that as well. When they... Cut your character down. How will you respond? How will I respond? As they flood in on social media. I was talking to somebody this morning. I said, we we have to treat these things like a raincoat. When the water hits it, it just rolls off. Because if we let that stuff absorb into us, it will weigh us down. What we have to come to grips with, are we pleasing to God? Are we honoring God? Are we honoring His Word? Everybody else can scream and shout. But we're just going to walk toward the prize that lies ahead. There is a finish line, my friend. And my encouragement to you is when the flak starts to fly and the bullets start coming, just keep pressing on. Just keep pressing on toward the goal that lies ahead. Because one day you will stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords and He will bring to light everything. And that's what matters. Two wrongs don't make it right. Don't lash back out when you're attacked. The best thing you can do is give it a week without saying a word. And typically your anger, your frustration your boiling point will begin to simmer down and you will realize that you should never answer a fool in their folly. That's what they want. They they want you to lash about and act like them. (laughs) When in reality, 
Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You are an ambassador for Christ. That this means you are a representative of the King of kings and Lord of lords. How will you represent your king? How will you represent your Lord as an ambassador who speaks on behalf of the king? Two wrongs don't make a right. That never has and never will. Sometimes you have to be okay with not defending yourself. God will handle that. Sometimes you have to defend yourself. I get that. But sometimes it ain't worth the effort it takes. Check the source. So whatever it is, two sins don't fix the problem. Rather, we must repent, turn to God for forgiveness, and admit that we have offended God. Uh, it says in Ezekiel 14.6, Repent and turn away from your idols and turn your face away from all your abominations. 1 Samuel 7, 3, Return to the Lord with all of your heart. Remove your foreign gods from among you and direct your hearts to the Lord. It's always about turning back to God. Repenting of what we've done. We can see throughout all of the Bible the Lord calls us to repent of our sins, admit our wrongs that we've done. And today you can do that. You don't have to live a life that's under the bondage of sin any longer. Listen, if you are a brother or sister in Christ and you've offended somebody, go to them and ask for forgiveness. If they're a brother or sister in Christ, love covers a multitude of sin. For all those that have offended me, who have called me names, who have made false accusations about me, about my character, about our church, you know what? I forgive you. Because you are under the bondage of Satan. Why would I get angry with you? I'm praying for you. That's how we ought to respond. They need Christ and Him crucified. We need to repent. Ask for forgiveness. Not so that we'll get good from God, but because you want to bring glory to Almighty God. Today, and frankly, throughout the last 50 years, we've seen a change, haven't we? In the gospel message. And the message becomes more and more gradually palatable, unoffensive, acceptable to people's lifestyles of sin. We've expounded on the love of God. The grace of God, His mercy, and His forgiveness so much so that we have buried His holiness, His righteousness, and His wrath. We've missed His all-divine power. We need a high view of God today. Because when we do, we will be men and women who repent of our sins and turn back to Him who we are accountable before. So we see the complaining, the shifting of blame. Don't do that. Go to God in repentance. Ask Him to forgive you. Go to them. Ask them for their forgiveness. 
so that your relationship with the Lord might be restored and that brother or that sister. I want us to secondly see the curse. Verses 14 and 19. Here God addresses the issue that has taken place. And Adam and Eve failed to repent of their sins. They shift the blame and now God addresses all three involved. We first see the curse of the serpent, the woman, and then the man. Verses 14 and 15 speak about the curse of the serpent in which he received. Verse 14 talks about the physical curse of the serpent. And verse 15 deals with the eternal curse of the serpent. He says here in verse 14, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this curse, are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field? On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. This was a serious curse for this serpent. This wasn't just some spell cast on to the devil. He was placing a physical and an eternal curse upon this creature. On his belly he would go all the days of his life. There was a real physical change in this serpent's life. More cursed, God said, than all the creatures, all the cattle of the field, but more so the serpent. So we can assume that the serpent once walked on legs as he is compared to the cattle and the beast of the field, which are all known to have four legs and have walked. He goes on to tell us that on your belly you will go, and so it seems the serpent didn't always sliver around on his belly. There is physical change. Listen, sin always brings physical change. And thus he said in the garden. All of these trees, children, you may eat, but from this tree, Daddy says no. But for the day you eat from it, you will surely die. Did they die physically? No, they died spiritually, but their physical lives changed. And unless corrected, they would die eternally separated from God in a place called hell. They began to die in their body. There's always physical change. Verse 15, he says this. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. God tells the serpent that from now on there will be hostility between her seed and the seed of the devil. Children of Eve and the children of the devil. The offspring of the woman was Cain. Then all humanity at large. And then Christ and those together in Him. The offspring of the serpent, including His demons, and anyone serving His kingdom of the darkness, whose father is the devil, those would be his seed. And there is a beautiful picture here of the gospel. It's the first gospel message in all of the Bible. It's an image of Christ. Notice the serpent's head is crushed. This brings a death blow 
serpent, yes, he strikes the heel, but it's not a killing blow, is it? Satan would cripple mankind. You will strike them on the heel, but the seed, Christ, would deliver the fatal blow to crush the head of the devil and his demons. We have, listened victory from the very beginning of time. It's foretold that the devil, the serpent of old, and all that follow him, listen, in the end will be destroyed. And the king of glory will remain. The grave, listen, could not hold him. Yes, they crucified him. Yes, they nailed him to a cross. Oh, yes, he died in the flesh. But on the third day, he rose again from the grave. Because the grave could not hold him. Because he had never sinned. Christ would in the end have victory. And for that we can rejoice. This is the first declaration in the Bible of the good news. The gospel. That the woman's seed, Christ, would ultimately defeat Satan and his seed. Flip over to Galatians chapter 4. If you will. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoptions as sons. Listen, at the appropriate time, God saw that He would send His Son to crush the head of the serpent. This was the gospel message. We see the curse of the serpent, which is really a blessing from God because it would give hope through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 16, on the other hand, he starts out with the woman. It's curse. Verse 16, I will greatly multiply pain and childbirth, your pain and childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. This is really a twofold curse. Women's pain would increase in childbirth. And the husband whom she desires to be with will master over her. Number one, there would be painful labor. This curse seems hard, but in the end brings forth goodness. It assumes that she will live to give birth, and not only give birth, but through this curse, God brings a Savior through her seed. I mean, He had all right, didn't He, to destroy both of them. They broke the law of God in the garden. It had an internal effect. He could have just wiped them off and started over, but that's not what he did. He expounded grace and he expounded mercy, but there was always the result of the fall, the effect of the sin. Yes, there can be forgiveness, but the effect sometimes lingers, my friends. 
child birth signals hope. It also serves as a continuous reminder of sin and the woman's part of it. The second part of the curse is that in her sin also there was a corrupted relationship with her husband. While this may seem very hard, I want to encourage you that first off, not to get the wrong idea of what it means to rule over your wife. In a perverted, fallen creation, it is the case. Listen, God created man and woman equal with all dignity and value and respect. But He gives them different roles. Man is to rule over his wife, not in a harsh or selfless or subjecting way, but in a way that is loving and compassionate and graciousful and with care and compassion. But the fall. This is the standard God has placed. And it is certainly important we play the parts the way that God has instructed us to. And not want for the other to do their part first. But that we fulfill our roles so that we might honor God in the process. You serve Him as if you're serving God. And leave your husband under the work of Almighty God. Ephesians 5.22. Flip over there. We're looking at Ephesians 5.22-25. says it this way. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. Christ is also the head of the church. He Himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Listen, most of the time, and this isn't always true, Women don't have a problem living this out if men are willing to live by verse 25. The problem is, is when men are not honoring the Lord in the way they're loving their wives. I'm the one who gets the direct messages and the emails. How do I deal with a husband who is ungodly? Who doesn't love me as Christ loves the church? It doesn't negate the responsibility of the spouse. They are called to love their husbands, respect them, and honor them. God will deal with them. God will deal with us, men. Just like He will deal with you, ladies. So most of the time, they don't have a problem if we're living out verse 25. But uh, we need to be reminded that two wrongs don't make a right again. The roles that are in place, we need to understand, come prior to the fall. Do we understand that? 
the curse is set on top of God's roles for men and women. And therefore, we wickedly, sinful, stained, separated, the enmity God, misuse what God intended for good. That's what all sin does. We, we take that which God intended for good and we misuse it. Thus becomes sin. God has given order. God has given roles. And He has placed each one of them in place for us to serve. And they must remain. Even when the curse unfolds. So we have to make sure that as fallen men and women, that we expound grace to one another. Because no matter how bad I want to love my wife as Christ loved the church, sometimes I fall short of that. Because if you have not recognized, I am not the Messiah. There is but one perfect. The rest of us are therefore imperfect. And we live our lives to do the best we can. And when we fail to live out the lives as husbands and wives as God has ordained us in the roles in which He has called us to, then we need to go to one another and be repentant towards our wife and our husband. That's vitally important. Because you're going to mess up if you ain't already today. We need to repent. Because the curse will remain until we see him face to face. Women, seek your husband's guidance. Seek his leadership. Seek his instruction. You do as God has called you to do and God will begin to work in your husband. Guys, love your wives as Christ has loved the church. That means when you become angry, don't act in your anger towards your wife. If you disagree with your wife, sit her down and talk with her. Explain and listen to her side of the story. This is a relationship. You're not her master. She is not your servant. As what we understand in evil terms of servitude. She is your spouse. You are to love her. You are to honor her. You are to cherish her. You are to treat her as the queen of your castle. So treat her with respect. Self-sacrificial love. Honoring her as way God intends you to honor her. Now, you may be sitting here this morning and say, well, I'm not married. What's this got to do with me? It's got a lot to do with you. Because uh, you're going to be looking for a husband or a wife. And if they don't understand their roles, it's just going to start out wrong. Right? Because two heads is a monster, no head is dead. So the reality is, is we need to understand that the curse that is in place affects what God designed as good and holy and righteous and perfect. So much of the tension, much of the struggle in the marriage, in the home is because sin has infiltrated the world for which we live. 
And you know what? If we're just going to be frankly honest, some people are so bullheaded and prideful, both men and women, it was just never going to work its way out until we see Jesus face to face. But I believe that if we will humble ourselves and come down off of our prideful stool thinking we are greater than what we really are and not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, but be humble and submissive to the Lord Jesus Christ, then we might have marriages that honor the Lord Jesus Christ. And we might raise up a generation who understand and loves the Lord and loves the roles for which they've been called to, which will ultimately affect the church, which will ultimately affect our communities and our nation. Because what we are facing in this wicked world is because there is a breakdown of roles of men and women and the homes are being broken up Part, and children are growing up without fathers. There's no leadership roles. It's all whacked out. Why? Because the devil has fed you a lie that your ways are higher than his ways. Ain't no man going to tell me what to do. Ain't no woman going to tell me what to do. That's not the way we operate. We're partners. There's a one flesh relationship. We're no longer two, but one. You don't become unified with someone who doesn't believe like you believe. We're not to be unequally yoked. We are to connect and to fall in love with someone, number one, that loves the Lord Jesus Christ and is growing in their relationship with Christ. Because when you are living your life and growing in your relationship to Christ, the closer you get in your relationship to Christ, the closer your marriage comes together. But if you're going this way and she's going this way and God's up here and He's going, what are y'all doing? And I'm going right and you're going left and that too is trying to be pulled apart. It's going to be just at work that is just going to be nasty, ugly, and no wonder that 66% of marriages end in divorce because they're not even started on a firm foundation. Somebody comes to me and goes, Hey, Pastor, I want to get married. I go, Okay, number one, do you have a job? And I know that sounds silly, but this is 2022 and people don't like to work. These men in these days, we, we have to raise real men these days. We teach them good and math and arithmetic and history and geometry and geography and all that stuff, but they ain't got a clue how to work. Do you got a job? And if you don't have a job, son, you ain't got no business pursuing after that woman. Do you have a house? No, you got no business pursuing after that woman. Is there a season? Is there a transition? Yes. Do you have, at least do you have plans? Right? Do, do you do you you got a you got a road map for what where you're headed? Because listen, God's blessing me with seven kids. And it's a learning experience for me. I ain't never done this. But let me tell you, I'm learning real quick. I'm learning real quick. But we need to make sure our marriages are honoring to God. The last curse we see here is men. Then Adam said in verse 17, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree uh, about which I have commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. Thanks, guys. If you a man and you a hardworking man, you get this curse. 
In toil you will eat all of the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you. Praise the Lord, hallelujah, right? No. I'm not a gardener, but I have had a garden and it's a nightmare. And you will eat the plant of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground. Because from it you were taken from dust, you are from dust, and to dust you shall return. I find it interesting here that God gives man a reason why he is receiving his curse. And it's because he listened to his wife rather than leading his wife. Listen, it's very simple. God gave the man instructions and he failed to do what he had been called to do. And that was to lead and to protect his wife. It left her out to dry. Oh, well, give me some. I'll try it too. He should have protected his wife. Years ago, when I was still in the construction business, I was a superintendent and I had several jobs I was over. And I had several employees that were under me. And I dealt with my boss, who was over me, and my boss would come to me and go, do this. And I would say, yes, sir. And I would go tell my guys, do this. And if they failed to do this, as I had told them to do this, when the boss came back, you think he went and talked to them? Nope. He came to me. Because he had put me over them. And that's what we see here. Here, the man had been given the instructions from God. He was the leader. And he failed to make sure his wife followed the rules, but instead he followed her and obeyed her rather than God. And when it says here that he listened to the voice of his wife, to the voice of Eve, this means he listened to what she said and obeyed her. It's not a, a passive act. But rather, it's him doing what she has said. Maybe translated, because you have listened to your wife and, and have obeyed her. Because you have obeyed your wife and disobeyed me, God. Cursed is the ground because of you. Now, you may wonder why this is such a big deal. Um, because work is hard. And when men don't want to work, it's a sign of the times. We are called to work because it's our curse. When you build a house and you go to measure something and you make the cut, it's going to probably be short. But when you're out there putting up those boards and holding them up, getting on that roof, putting those shingles on, getting out in that garden and tilling the ground, and the sweat is just pouring from your head, Welcome to the curse. But if you ain't working, then you ain't obeying. Now, not everybody can work. I get that. And everybody's jobs are different. I'm sweating right now, but I'm just preaching. But I can promise you, there were years when I got down in that hole and I thought I was going to die laying pipe 25 foot deep in a hole. And when I got on that weed eater and I was weed eating in the lagoon banks, I thought I was going to die when it's 110 outside. 
And as I would weed eat those banks and as I would dig with those shovels and plant those trees and do whatever it is God had put in my path to accomplish, whether it be installing elevators in high rises, lifting high, tall T-rails and picking them up and herniating my back and everything else, I'm reminded, welcome to the fall of man. Welcome to the curse. Listen, the reality is as cursed as the ground because of you, Adam said. He says to Adam, I'm going to make the ground unproductive. I'm going to make it hard for the plants to grow in the soil. I'm going to spoil the ground and make it no good. I'm going to make that ground hard. You must be, you could say it this way, you must be punished for listening to your wife and obeying what she has said to do, and therefore I am cursing the ground. In toil, he says, you will eat of it all of the days of your life. Toil translates for the same word, pain. In regards to the same pain used in pregnancy, so the pain of man will be his toil all the days of his life. So you're getting up into your age and the thing you want to do is retire. You ain't got time to retire. Your, your toil is until the day you die, my friend. And if you ain't serving in the community and working for, for, for a company or serving and paying for your wife, maybe you're on retirement, then you need to serve God. We need to, we need, this is our curse until we're back in the ground. You must do painful work, hard labor to produce food <laughs> all of the days of your life. So we see that thorns and thistles will grow in the midst of the plants. And now in verse 19, it teaches us that this sweat, this hard work that we have to do to eat, it's because of the fall. It's a reminder to all men of the fall of men. The word here, bread, used in verse 19 is interesting. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground. The word bread here is in a general term for food, meaning you will work for your food. We've seen the curse of the serpent. We've seen the curse of the woman. We've seen the curse of the man. And I'm going to say something this morning. I know it's going to offend some of you, but hey, I don't get paid to tickle ears. I get paid to speak the truth. And I need to do it from love, and I get that. But listen to me very clearly. First men, then women, all in the same sentence. Some of you women are not only enduring your curse, but you're enduring your husband's curse. Some give birth, serve their husbands, and they're working by the sweat of their brow. And many times because the man is unwilling to work. Now, if that ain't you, every circumstance is different. But hear me out. Men, it's your job to provide for your family. It is not your wife's job to provide for your family. You are the breadwinner. It is your curse. Now, if you're married and you're up in age and your wife decides to work and that's your decision as a husband to let her do that, great. But it not not be dependent on your resources to live on. That's your job and my job. And if it takes two or three jobs, then you go work two or three jobs and you sweat and you work and you provide and you honor your wife that way. 
And in that, she needs to do her part. So, is it wrong for women to work? Of course not. But hear me out, please. Somebody's got to say it. Because it's the elephant in the room. If your job as a woman takes you from your job as a mother, that is wrong. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care how big of a house you live in. I don't care what kind of car you drive. I don't care what time 501c3, 401k, whatever it is you got. I don't, that doesn't matter. Listen to me. Your job as a mother is to shepherd your children. That is not culturally relevant, by the way. But let me please, I beg you, listen to me. This nation is the way it is because we don't have mothers anymore. They've advocated their responsibility to raise godly children and they've bought a lie of the culture that says you are better, you are more valuable, this is more important. There is nothing more important than raising your children in the ways and the admonition of the Lord. There is no greater job, my friends. And husbands ought to do everything they can in every bit of their strength to allow that woman to stay home and to mother and to shepherd her children. Now, if you can do that and shepherd your children, then knock it out of the ballpark. But I promise you, I get too many emails and I get too many phone calls where the family is falling apart and the children are, are running rogue and mom's at jobs and dad's at jobs and nobody's watching the children and they've advocated their roles and responsibility for the sake of prosperity. And the culture is feeling its effect. The church is feeling the effect. And the nation is feeling its effect. And my prayer is that you will fall on your knees and beg Almighty God to conform your mind to the Word of God and not to the culture for which we live. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind through the Word. Women, there, you have so much power and strength. You have so much to offer this world and these children. I have two daughters and I want them to grow up understanding this. Everybody, you, you, your girls are going to college? No. No, they don't want to go to college. They want to, they want to be wives and they want to raise children in a godly home. No, don't mock my daughters for that. We've worked real hard on shepherding them that there is no greater job in the world. Listen, when you can be a when you can be a mother who stays home, who's on twenty four hours a day, who ain't getting paid, you can't never get a bathroom break because there's three or four kids knocking on the door. You're up all night long with sick children. You're down all day with sick children. You get no sleep. You get no rest. You get no pay. Listen, you can go out into the working world and you will be a superwoman. Anybody can go out and work in the world, but not anybody can be a trained mother who understands their value and understands how it pleases God to serve the Lord the way He has called them to be. So we need the older women 
to train the younger women. We need the older women to speak truth into their daughters, into their granddaughters, into their great-granddaughters. And we need men to teach grandfathers, to teach their sons and their grandsons and their great-grandsons the importance and the integrity of being a man. Because we have to get back to the nucleus family acting like the biblical family. Or we'll never turn this ship around. And the devil knows it. The devil knows it. This is hard for both men and women. It is a hard reality for me as a husband to know that if I believe what I'm saying from right here, then no matter what happens, no matter what happens, I have a responsibility to raise my children and to honor my wife and do what I got to do to give her the ability to do what she's got to do for a season. It's worth it, my friends. It's worth it. We see the complaining. We see the curse. Lastly, we see the casting. Genesis 3.20 Now the man called his wife named Eve because... She was the mother of all living. Listen, the only message of salvation that Adam heard was this message in Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. The beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Adam believed. And to him it was counted as righteousness. You may ask, well, how do you know he believed this to be true? Because he named his wife Eve. Which means life or or life giver. God had said that Adam and Eve would die. And Adam and Eve died physically. Adam died at 930 years. But they also died spiritually. Listen, when they sinned, sin entered the world and death through sin spread to all men. So you and I likewise have inherited this sin nature. And unless corrected, my friend, you and I will die eternally separated from God in a place called hell. It is not God's desire. It is not God's wish. He wishes that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. God promised the birth of a Savior through this woman, through her seed, that would ultimately crush the head of the serpent that would help fix the consequence of sin. Then we come to verse 21. The coats of skin, pictures of salvation we have in Christ today. Genesis 3.21, Then the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and clothed them. Listen. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. The coats of skin, something had to die in order to clothe them. Listen, Jesus had to die to clothe us in His righteousness. You have sinned. You can't get away from that. I have sinned. I can't get away from that. But know this. 
God who is above all has made a way through His Son Jesus Christ that you might be redeemed. Maybe you haven't been the best parent. Welcome to the reality. None of us are the best parents. But we need to repent of that and turn back to God and ask Him to make us great parents for His glory. That's the message we need to hear. It's not about, oh, I'm such a bad person. No, that's not. Don't leave hearing that. Leave hearing this. There's hope. And it may be a process. I get that. But no, there's hope. And our hope comes salvifically through Jesus Christ. The implications are huge. Listen. Here, finally, in verses 22 to 24, we see the greatest blessing of God from the very beginning of time. Listen, they had forfeited their rights to the tree of life. And now if they would have eaten of this tree in this manner, sinful, stained, separated from God, they would have died eternally separated from God. But God in His great mercy and His great grace pulls them out of that situation for He knows that if they remained there, they would probably do it again and they would be separated from God eternally. There would be eternal ramifications. If Adam and Eve would have eaten from that tree of life again in the sinful state, the second Adam would have not come to die for the sins of man. And so God, concerned for His creation, for His salvific method, protected even you and I today by what He did in that garden. Casting Adam and Eve out of the garden was God's grace and mercy to whole human race. Adam was made from the earth. Christ came down from heaven. Adam was tempted in the perfect garden. Christ was tempted in a terrible wilderness. Adam deliberately disobeyed and plunged the human race into sin and death. And Christ obeyed the Father and brought about righteousness and the ability for all men to save. Now you lack one thing. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says you will be saved. Listen, God has made a way from the very beginning of time. And that promise in Genesis 3.15 that the serpent would be defeated by the seed of the woman which is Christ. And he accomplished that right there on Calvary's cross when he died for you and he died for me and he died for all of humanity. The cross is sufficient for all, but listen, it's only efficient to those who believe. So receive him today. Believe on him today and be changed for the glory of God. This has been Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. And be sure to visit us online at familybiblefellowship.org. And come see us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m.